So, with that being said, family is very important to me. And uh, as, as Jesus opens up the passage that, that I want to talk about today, he opens up with some, with some stuff about our family that, that's kind of harsh. It, it hurts. But, but back to the questions that we wrestle with, these things we wrestle with, that's, that's where this started. Now, in this particular case, this is a, a section of Scripture that I was wrestling with. Um, and I want to encourage you guys, I hope that this has happened to you. I hope that you've come across something in, in God's Word that has challenged you, that has uh, made you question your motives, your actions, and everything that, that you're doing. Because if that has happened, that is evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in your life. So don't get discouraged when these things happen. Actually, embrace it. Wrestle it. Try to figure out what's going on. Um, let it challenge you. So with that, I want to read today's passage, um, and then we'll get into it. Uh, we're going to go to Luke chapter 14, starting at verses 20, verse 25. It says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is a great way away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So right away here in this passage, we see that Jesus is open up with some very strong language. Um, strong language conveys uh, a point of great importance. Um, he uses such terms as hate uh, and cannot. Hate is a, it's a very strong emotion, very strong action. It, it, it says that we have disdain for something, an extreme dislike, an intolerance of, um, which is totally contradictory to our method of thinking when we start talking about our family. And then he uses the word cannot. You know, that, that's self-explanatory. That's an impossibility. But then you take the way he starts his word here, the very first word, if, that says that there's a condition that has to be met. And that's something that we don't like. It's, it's this, this condition that has to be met. It's like saying that if I don't breathe, I can't live. If I don't exercise, I can't gain muscle, which we all, especially me, I need to do some weightlifting. Uh, one that my wife has used, if I don't eat a breath mint, I can't get rid of coffee breath. So, <laughs> so, now, so there's, there's a condition, bless you. There's a, there's a condition to be met here, but it's also important to, to understand what Jesus is saying here as we go on a little bit farther. It's, he is not saying that we, uh, that we wish ill upon our family, or that we wish to do harm to them, or we seek their, their detriment. No, on the contrary, Jesus, in, uh, in several occasions, tells us to, to honor our parents, to love others. Um, and I want to point out a couple of verses here that, that uh, really point this out in Jesus' life. Uh, first one, if you guys could go to uh, Matthew 15, verses 3 through 7. Um, 
In this, uh, in this verse here, or in this passage here, Jesus is really calling out the, the Pharisees on just this, about how they're honoring their mother and father. And he answered them, he being Jesus, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. So Jesus, like I said, very poignantly calling out that these commandments to, to honor our mother and father have not gone away. Uh, one of my favorite examples of this, uh, of how Jesus ex- demonstrates the love we're supposed to have for our parents and the love for other people is, is found in, uh, in John, verses uh, 19, 25 through 27. Uh, at this time, Jesus' mother Mary would have been a, a widow, and we can... Uh, we know that because basically Joseph has not been talked of since like Luke chapter 2. And this is clear at the end of Jesus' earthly, um, just before his crucifixion, or actually during the time of his crucifixion. Now, Jesus, as the oldest son in the family, would have been charged with the responsibility of taking care of his widowed mother. Uh, but here in verse 25, he says, But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, Jesus took her to his own home. So I want you to think about the, the, the love that Jesus has for his mother in this very moment. He is naked, bruised, bleeding on a cross. He's dying. He's he's weakened to an extreme state, and hanging on the cross, he looks and sees his mother. And in some of the last energy he has, he says, Mom, go with John. John, take care of my mom. And his last, some of his last strength is used to actively love and honor his mother and put her in the care of what is probably Jesus' best friend on earth. So Jesus is not saying to wish ill or to... Uh, do things to harm, but what he is saying is that our relationship with him has to be far and above anything on this earth, any relationship, any uh, possession, anything we have. In our lives, the best way to put this, in our lives we all have hierarchy of relationships. Um, For most of us, we would have our spouse, and then maybe our kids, our pastors, elders, Right? Amen? Hey, that, that is his addition, actually, yeah. But it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just the way it is. Even Jesus displayed this in his own life. He had people that were closer to him uh, than others. So what Jesus is saying here is if, if our relationship to our spouse is here and our kids here and everything falling underneath that, you know, stacked one right on top of another, our relationship with Jesus is supposed to be an elevated, like, to the cloud deck you know, so far and above that nothing else can compare to it. No, no, nothing could be comparable to our relationship with Jesus. He is supposed to be that much of a priority in our lives. So I want you to think about this. If, if this is our hierarchy of relationships, and we place something with Christ that far above every other relationship in our life, how can they not look at it as hate? 
If we are prioritizing Him above everything else, we will have to make decisions. Every one of us, believer or non-believer, we have decisions to make in our lives. We have priorities. We have things that, based on our, the best interest for ourselves, we're going to make a decision. If we have to make that decision for Christ every time, others start to get excluded, get to have to fall down on the list. Jesus goes on to say in verse 27 that this is true with our own lives. Not only in our relationships, in our possessions, but in our own lives. Verse 27, Jesus says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So what is a cross? It's an instrument of death. Its sole purpose is humiliation and death. That's, its purpose is to bring death to the one who carries. Its cross is a gruesome and humiliating uh, means of execution. We, uh, we don't fully understand uh, the gravity of what the cross was. Um, you know, like Pastor and I were also pointing out, you know, we, we, don't, we don't understand it. We don't look at it the same way that that the audience of this book would have, the original audience. We have a, a cross here that's nice and pretty and clean. Um, what Jesus is talking about carrying here would have been a, a piece of wood that would have been um, blood-stained and spike marks in it. Um, you know, at some points during the Roman uh, rule and reign, a person may have been carrying that cross and it was still wet with the blood from the last person that was on it. You know, it, it, it was, this was gruesome. And the Roman government would make you pick this, carry, this cross up, or the crossbar, and carry it through town because they were taking everything away from you. Not only were you taking this cross to your death, they were taking your life, but they were also taking your pride, your dignity. This was a symbol of saying that the Roman government is right, and they are just in this sentence. So Jesus is calling us not to just lay down our lives, but our pride, our dignity, everything. This cross is just a huge symbol. And like I said, we, you know, people in this time would have seen this a cross, and they would have shuddered. They would have gasped at the thought of a cross. So let that sink in just a little bit that we, you know, we don't quite understand that, but what Jesus is calling us to is a very uh, radical self-denial. And Jesus goes on to tell us to count the cost before we can do this. We know that this is, a, this is an extremely hard thing to do. But he tells us to count the cost. So if we've got to count the cost of it, what is it? What is discipleship? Um, as, as elders in the church, we've kind of come up with a definition here. Mike, if you could put that definition up on the screen. Um, there's a lot that went into this definition to, to, to bring it about. Um, but a disciple is a believer of Jesus Christ whose life is changed by following Christ and his commands. In verse 26 and 27 here, Jesus says two times to be my disciple. We can be disciples of a lot of different things. Uh, I could be a disciple of Pastor Lee. I could be a disciple of my boss at work. It's, it's a relationship that we have. But it's very important that we know that we are disciples of Christ. We are to follow him. Now, a disciple in a generic sense of a generic sense would be a learner, a student, or a protege. It's a follower of a person. And as a follower of that person, if I'm a disciple of a person, I seek to mimic their lifestyle. I seek to 
replicate what they are. Um, one, of the, one of the illustrations I read of this is before Saul was converted, before Saul became Paul, it says that he was a disciple of Gamaliel, one of the, the prominent teachers of that time. Gamaliel's job as a disciple maker for Paul was to make a little Gamaliel. That was the whole purpose, was to make somebody that operated with the same thoughts, the same mentality, the same uh, motives, the same interests. So a disciple, first of all, is a believer of Christ. And it requires relationship, not just an acquaintance, but a deep and a personal, ongoing relationship that takes a whole lot of sacrifice to gain and a whole lot more to maintain. Disciple-making relationship is based on intimacy and obedience. A disciple follows Christ, knowing him more and more as the time goes on. And a disciple is obedient to the commands of Christ. So if we're following Christ day by day by day by day, and we're getting to know him more and more and more and more, and we're obedient to his commands every day, by nature, we become more like him, just by the simple act of following him. It's a continual process. Like I said, we are changed by following and obeying, but we're always following and obeying, so we're continually being changed. This is uh, what we call in a Christian life sanctification. As we seek to be like Christ, as we seek to, to put him first in all of our uh, relationships, all of our endeavors, everything we do, we're uh, made more like him. So a disciple is a believer of Jesus whose life is changed by following Christ and his commands. So back to our, our first point there, when we intentionally engage in relationship with Christ on that level, we have to expect at some point that others are going to be hurt by this. They're going to see this as hate. Such a radical change in our lives, how can they not look at it? A disciple of Christ is one who willingly submits to his obedience and always puts Christ first. Does that mean that there's a clash of interests? That, that every time, that everything we do, we have to negate our personal longings to follow Christ? That's the beautiful part about, about following Christ, about being more like him. And we have God's word that tells us, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. As we seek to follow Christ, as we seek to be His disciples, we do become more like Him, and His desires become our desires. So in, actually, in actuality, we actually gain by following Him. So then, going on here, Jesus tells us to count the cost. In order for us to make this kind of change, things will be sacrificed. Maybe hobbies, maybe our leisure time, maybe relationships. Verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. So Jesus urges us to check ourselves. Do we have what it takes to be his disciple? Can we follow him? Can we make that sacrifice? Are we willing to lay everything else aside? Do we have that conviction in our hearts? Which, like I said at the beginning of this message, if we have that conviction of our hearts, that's a good indication that we do indeed have the power to do it. You know, Jesus asks us, can we give all these things up? Our, can we give our job up if it's necessary? Can we give our relationships? Can we give our lives? You know, I, I think about, you know, Dan made a mention this morning in the Forge about the, the Americanized 
how we Americanized we are. You know, in America, I was thinking this this morning, in America, there are rare instances where we may have to give up our job to follow Jesus, but if we do, we probably have actions of legal recourse. There's areas of the world where you're lucky if you get to keep your life for being a Christian. And that's the type of devotion that Jesus is asking for. He says to count the cost, because if we can't follow through, we may be ridiculed. I love the, the, that he uses the picture of a tower here. You know, this isn't the lawnmower shed that you just build out on a weekend. It's a tower. It takes a huge foundation. It takes, you have to dig deep. You have to go wide. It's a big building. It takes a lot of preparation. It's not an overnight project. It's a monument to something. And that's where the ridicule comes in. We're building a monument in our lives to Christ. So if we uh, don't go wholehearted at this approach, which is what Jesus is calling us to, to go wholehearted at this following Christ, then we end up not only making ourselves look bad, but we make Christ look bad. If I, if I start out and this huge change takes place in my life, and, and I'm all in for Christ, and then suddenly down the road I can't do it anymore, what does that say about Christ's power in my life? What does that say to a lost world that needs to know Christ, that needs to know the power of Christ? Can we say along with Paul in Philippians 3, 7, and 8, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Coming through this far in this passage, it's hard for us to see that phrase used by Paul, those words used by Paul. But this message, I believe, takes a turn from this point. So it's been kind of heavy to this point, and it's going to be a little heavier, but then at the end of this message, we're going to see just what this means, just what Paul is feeling here as he pens these words, how the Spirit is describing that there's, there's reward for following Jesus. Verses 31 and 32 or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is a great way away off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Think about the great loss that comes from war. There's human life loss. There's sons and daughters and mothers and fathers. There's property that's annihilated and gone. Entire cultures. Uh, I've heard it said that when the Roman Empire fell, mainly due to a lot of different wars and stuff, that technology was lost. Like, like the human race fell backwards in technology over 50 years because of that culture that was lost. All these things are lost. Now, does it ever occur to you that you have a kingdom? Each one of us has things that that I hope we understand is given to us by God. But each one of us has things that we're sovereign over. A king is one that's sovereign over a domain. You have dominion over certain things. Your, your feelings, your, your body in most cases, you know, these things are yours. And you have complete control over them until the day that God demands them back. The Bible also tells us that in our flesh we are at enmity 
with God. So you have a kingdom, but in your flesh you're at enmity with God. In our sin, we're trying to make God fit into our kingdom. In our sin, we want Him to serve us. We act as if our kingdom is the powerful one, and His is not. We may say it, that God has this great kingdom. We say we pray for His kingdom come and His will be done, but then in our sin, we totally deny that. We, we seek our own. Our kingdom here on this earth lasts 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 years tops. Rare instances it lasts 100 years. His is the eternal kingdom. Shouldn't we consider that as we move forward? Shouldn't we consider that as we, uh, uh, as we think about waging war? Each of us have a day in our lives when, when God will demand that kingdom back. Now, if we follow Christ now, we are submitting. If we fully follow Christ, we are submitting our kingdom to His. And by those terms of peace that He offers, we can't offer Him terms of peace. He's the greater kingdom. But when we follow Christ, that's His offering of peace to us. If we submit our kingdom to His, we're guaranteed peace and life. If we deny that, we're guaranteed wrath. Christ is our only terms of peace. Verse 33 says, So therefore any one of you who does not, does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So Jesus is, is conveying this heavy truth here in this passage. Just to follow him is very costly. It costs us everything. That we have to be willing to give up everything. The beautiful thing about this is as we submit and we're willing to give up everything, there's very rare cases where Christ does indeed take everything, at least at, at the moment's notice. Eventually, like I said, we all do give back everything to God. We will give an account for everything. But very rare cases do we have to give up everything all at once. It's a very hard thing to do to give up what we have, to give everything to Christ. In fact, it's impossible. Each one of us sitting here, we can't do it. There's nothing that we can... We cannot give anything over to God, much less everything. But thank God He's made a way. You guys remember the parable from Matthew 19 about the rich young man? If you guys want to turn there, we can... A rich young man, just to set this up, a rich young man, I'm going to start reading in uh, verse 23. But a rich young man had come to Jesus and asked him how he could uh, enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus basically told this rich young man with a lot of possessions that you have to sell everything you got, give to the poor, and follow me. The emphasis on follow me. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. So this rich young man, he comes and he says, Jesus, what can I do to get into heaven? Jesus tells him. The guy walks away disdained, disgruntled. He's, he's, he's lost. He can't get into heaven because he's not willing to commit this. So Jesus says, Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. 
in our flesh, none of us can give everything to God. But if we have placed our trust in Christ, He has given us His Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, that makes all things possible. You have living inside of you as a believer in Christ what makes the impossible possible. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives us the power to deny ourselves. Back in Galatians, Pastor actually talked about the power to die. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us His power to die to ourselves, the power to pick up our cross. If that Holy Spirit lives inside of you, He brings about the conviction that says, am I doing everything, Lord? Am I following you with all my heart, Lord? If that conviction is there, the power is there. Jesus asks us to be willing to give up anything to follow Him. But what do we gain? What's His promises? I picked up, um, as I went through this, I've got one, two, three, four, five, like six scriptures we're going to go through real quickly of promises that Jesus makes if we follow Him. So what, do we lo- what, what does it cost us to follow Him? Anything that that we have. We have to be willing to sacrifice. But what do we gain? What we gain is everything. First one, rest. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. You don't have to worry about turning there. there. I'm going to go through these pretty quickly. Come to me, all who labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He promises peace in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Freedom from sin. Each one of us has a sin weight that bears us down. And Jesus promises freedom. John 8, 36. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. At the beginning of this passage, Jesus was talking about hating our family or being willing to deny them and give them up. And Jesus promises here in Mark 10, 29-30, says, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution in the age to come, eternal life. And life, Matthew 16, 24, and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. And then John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So yes, Jesus calls us to be willing to sacrifice everything, but what he gives us is so much more. You know, when I started, we were talking about the, these things that tear at us, these earworms or these scripture worms or whatever you want to call them, these, these truths that they keep beckoning us to come back and visit them. When I first read this, the, the struggle that I had with this was not carrying my own cross. But it was my family. Because I, I, I love my family, and you guys know that. And I'm sure that this is, I'm not the only one that has that struggle. That thinking about, you know, I can follow Jesus, but how can I hate my family? Well, the very thing that God pointed out to me there was that by me loving my family that much, 
maybe I was bringing Jesus down on my hierarchy of, of relationships. Maybe I needed to reprioritize. And as I started digging into that and I started wrestling with that and started coming to, to the realization of the truth, my family's better off if Jesus is up here. I know my sinful self. I know that I may have the best intentions for my wife and my family, but who can love them better? Me or Jesus? Who can love your spouse better, you or Jesus? And the plain fact of the matter is that Jesus is. So if we each put him in, in his right place in our own lives, that means the Holy Spirit is working more inside of us. He is moving in us. He is controlling us. He is the method of our operation which means He is loving our wives and our children and our families through us. So that's, that's my take on this. Um, and I guess i got to ask you, knowing these truths, and, and I, I hope that this uh, challenged you a little bit. I hope it's not a, a depressing message, because that's not my intention. My intention is to, to point out the fact that there's parts of Scripture that will, uh, that will challenge us. Be challenged by it. Dig into it. See what it's saying. See what God is wanting to reveal to you through that. Are you willing to accept that call? It's very comfortable. We talked about giving up our comfort this morning and, uh, and the forge. It's very comfortable to take a passage like that and just brush it aside and move on. But I encourage you to dig into it because God is revealing something to you in it. And even though it may be uncomfortable when He takes us out of that, it's so much better than where we are. So are we real willing to follow Jesus at all costs? Uh, with that, I'll pray and we'll close up and worship. Father, I, I thank you uh, for your word that, that, that does challenge us, that does pry into our inner parts and, and cause us to, to inspect the, uh, just what's going on in our hearts and our lives and, and what our priorities are. God, I thank you uh, for this opportunity. And Lord, I pray that uh, as I've shared what you've laid on my heart here today, uh, that your spirit's going to take that and move that in, in others as well. And uh, that, that maybe they will wrestle with it. And maybe they will uh, come to a, a fuller realization of what you're doing in their lives. Lord, I pray as, as Paul prayed that, uh, that the eyes of our hearts would be opened and enlightened uh, to the blessings, to the riches, to the wonders that are in Christ Jesus and, and his plan. Not only His plan for us, but His plan on a greater scale for, for, for all of creation, to, to reconcile all of creation to Himself and a glorious new future. Lord, my prayer is that if somebody here uh, has never accepted Christ, has never, uh, never picked up that cross once, but wants to know that the truths that are, that are there in it, wants to know the peace, the love, the joy, the the abundant life that you promise. Lord, I pray that, that you would work in their hearts now and that they would seek counsel for that, that they would, they would come confess that desire to, to one of the elders or to somebody that can help them, that can point to you as the, as the only way to find these peace, this peace. Lord, you give us an invitation, and that invitation is through Christ Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.